We are Shell and Aaron Odom, founders of A Radical Relationship. Our testimony is one of redemption from divorce, addiction, and witchcraft. Here at A Radical Relationship, our mission is to empower men and women to go deeper in their relationship with God, self, others, and their calling through self-examination first. Let's get into it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the A Radical Relationship podcast. And we are joined today by our second guest ever, Mr. Brandon Booth, which is exciting. It's funny because our first guest actually is who made space for the interview. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I want to start out by just giving the listeners a, a little bit of backstory of um, how we kind of came to this point. So. Atalie Bell, who serves um, with a radical relationship as a life coach, we went through our life coaching certification program together back in 2021. And um, divinely, I will say we were paired up as kind of coaching buddies throughout that program. And after the program was over, it just kind of felt like, man, I think there's a friendship here beyond just being life coaching buddies in this life certification program. And so we continued to develop a friendship after that program ended early 2021 up until the point that we finally met in person a year later and when we did it was in Colorado at a personal retreat that Brandon will be able to tell you more about within his scope of ministry um and that's kind of how Brandon and I got introduced so it's so funny how things just come full circle (laughs) yeah with things. So Brandon, would love to just have you start out by introducing yourself and um, just giving us a brief intro of Signpost in as well. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Brandon. Um, I'm in Colorado. I come from a little, little mountain town, um, Canyon City, Colorado, which is actually at the mouth of a canyon, actually. And it's, it's surrounded by mountains. It's beautiful. And I grew up in Colorado, uh, not in the mountains out in the east. And life has brought me all over the place. I've been all, lived many different places, but he brought us back here to Colorado and Canyon City in specific through a lot of scary stuff, actually. And that was a transition point in my life and my, my family's life where we left one ministry and God called us to start a new ministry. And it was my wife and I together, leave my wife. Uh, going through a lot of pain and a lot of struggle and feeling like there is, there are so many people who have just fallen through the gaps um, who feel alone and who feel lost. And we have always, we've always been the kind of folks who really want to open our homes and our lives to other people and be hospitable. And so that's kind of what happened. We're, we're, as part of my life is falling apart, God is building another part of our lives. And his, his building was open and in uh, a place at the crossroads of life. And so the ministry is signpost in, and it's really a metaphor. So like, I, we do have a lodge that people can come to, but it's not like a bed and breakfast or anything. And I have a history of naming things terribly, um, being way too abstract, but this in this case, it fits so well because the the vision for the ministry is to be that in at the crossroads of life that we all get to at some point or another. And you're tired, you're alone, you're weary. It's like, I don't know which direction to go. You look to the side of the road and there's the inn. the lights are on, people are laughing, the doors are open. You walk in and we all say, we're so glad you're here. What do you need? Do you need to rest? Great. Do you need some food? Wonderful. Do you want to talk? Sure. If you don't want to talk, that's fine too. It's not, there's not a, there's not a goal here. There's not a program. There's not a curriculum. It's mostly just what my wife calls the incarnate grace of hospitality. That is physical beings saying you're loved. You're welcome here. Uh, So our, our official um, mission statement (laughs) is to help people connect with God and find direction. How we do that, I, I don't really know how we do that, but what we do is we create spaces for people to to talk to God, to to rest. Um, and God seems to always answer that kind of thing. He shows up. Um, so 
Yeah, that's maybe that's very abstract. In in very very practical terms, uh, we offer spiritual direction. We do the retreats that you mentioned. Um, we have our own podcast and resources that we we produce, um, and I do some online some online workshops and things. But all of them are around this idea of helping people who feel lost, feel tired, feel weary, um, find some space for rest find some space to reconnect with God, to reconnect with others, uh, even to reconnect to themselves. Mm. You know, I, and I think that's, I don't know anyone in life that doesn't need that at some point, especially in our, our world full of noise and speed and everything is constantly coming at you a hundred miles an hour. So sometimes yeah. it's nice just to take a break. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. And, um, I'm glad that you kind of highlighted that there's no agenda when it comes to these things, because um, that was a huge part of uh, when I went on one of the retreats that you all offer, I went into it thinking I was about to be like super hands on in this retreat, not because you all advertise it that way, but because that's who I am in my core workspace mentality. So I'm like, let's go connect with God. I'll hear from him about all this strategy for my ministry. This is about to be great. And then I napped. (laughs) (laughs) Brandon, I napped like 75% of the time. And I was just like, this is not quite what I had in mind. Amen. Amen. So I can testify that like, yes, it will be exactly what you need. So I'm interested in that though. Like, why go the route of not making it something that was curriculum based or with a ton of structure? Were there any personal experiences that bent you towards that? Where was there direct instruction from God around this is what I want that to look like? What was kind of some of the motivation behind setting it up that way? Yeah. Yes and yes. Personal experience and God, definitely. Um so Okay, so for me personally, and it, it really is important that that I say this, uh, first of all, that I say this ministry is my wife and I. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very important, you know, she's not here in the podcast, but it, this ministry is born and, and um, the vision for it and the way we do it has come from the melding of our two personalities and experience in a very important way. So I have to say that because my personal experience and God speaking to me that led me into, yes, this is how we need to do it. It's very different from, from hers. Okay. Um, I, I would even say that she kind of like, that's her natural bent. That's her upbringing. That's her training. The idea of enjoying beauty, the idea of the embodied experience of the world is honestly that's why i mean i married her because she's so different from me and i and i was constantly fascinated by it and to this day still am i mean she's still an alien as far as i'm concerned because she can go out and take a walk and actually just be present in the walk whereas i take a walk and like she'll have to like physically poke me to get me to look up from my feet because I'm lost in my head. Mm. And I'm sure she's going to listen to this and laugh about that. (laughs) But, but so, yeah, so let let me just say that first, that so much of what, what we value as being this incarnate part of the ministry, that so much of it is actually about being physically present for her she laughs at me. She's like, I've been saying this for years, you know? And I'm like, yes, yes, you have. But it did also require God to move me into a different place. And I think that that's been a very important part of the ministry as well. So I, um, in 2019, I took a sabbatical from my previous work and I've been in ministry my whole life. And the ministry I did prior to, to signpost in was a very intellectual, very fast paced, very, um, it was apologetics focused and everything was about thinking, doing all mind stuff, which is, you know, I, I am, I have a degree in philosophy, a master's degree in theology. Like I am, I am a mind person. The downside to that 
was that I knew in my head, I knew in my thoughts about God's love, I could teach about it. I knew in my thoughts what it, I, I could talk about trusting God. But I also have a bona fide diagnosed anxiety disorder, which <laughs> lo and behold is really less a mind thing and it's more a body thing. And so I thought I could think my way out of it constantly. And and that's like the that's like the catch-22 of anxiety is anxiety is about your thoughts and fears running amok. And then thinking that you can think your way out of it is is such a trap. <laughs> um so 2019 rolls around, we have some big family stuff happen. I take a sabbatical, I go into counseling, I start talking to God very seriously about the stuff that I'm dealing with. And he brings me to this point where he says, look. You're not going to understand first. You're going to have to do and experience my love first, and you'll understand later. And I mean, I distinctly remember that moment at being like, no, <laughs> you need to explain it to me first. And he's like, nope, you're just going to have to trust me with your body. And so that's where I started to explore some of the more contemplative practices. And I've I've always been fascinated by that, but not really practicing it. Simple things like going and spending a few days alone in silence, in prayer, without books, without my phone, without, you know, just actually practicing solitude, practicing some silence. And that to this day is still, I mean, it's difficult for me, but it is the one of the main ways that God is working my healing with anxiety, is working my healing in a lot of different parts of my life because it is me enacting with my body trust, mm. Cast, casting all my cares on, on Jesus means more than saying it for me. It's like, I know what it means to consent with my physical being. This is how that answers your first question. <laughs> so when we started the ministry, we both knew that that's the part, at least in my life and in many of the people that we minister to's lives that's missing. It's like, we all know the right answers. We know we should trust God. We know we should believe he's good. We know we should accept his love, but how, but how? And I love answering that question because that's the question we all ask. Well, how do I trust God? And I'm at the point now where I really think more often than not, not always, but more often than not, that question is kind of disingenuous. What I'm actually saying is it's like, it's like, it's like I'm the kid at the side of the pool and my dad's in the pool saying, jump, I'll catch you. And I keep saying, but how, but how do I do it? How do I make this decision less scary? Tell me the things I need to know to make this less scary. And it's like, there isn't the answer is jump. That's how you do it. You jump and he catches you. And the next time is a little bit easier. The retreats are sort of intentionally designed to be a jump. That's why we don't do a lot of teaching and everything is optional and everything. Because if so many, so many of us are so good at abs. Well, let me speak for myself. I am so good at analyzing and abstracting and talking and never feeling <laughs> Mm. <laughs> and never actually trusting God to take long enough to take an actual nap. Yeah. So the retreats are like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to give you enough support. We're going to, we're going to try to be, try to show you Jesus's hands saying, jump, mm -hmm. I'll catch you. Mm. But we're not going to do the work of, we're not going to pretend like we have five easy steps to get there. We're not going to, pretend like you're missing some sort of knowledge. Mm. Instead, what we're going to do is say, let's create as safe and comfortable an environment as possible where it's where the only barrier to jumping is yourself. Mm. That's and jumping oddly, you know, it's so funny because once we do do it, I, this was my experience too, and continues to be, I think 
you know, before I do it, I feel like jumping is going to be this leap into the dark bottomless pit and it's going to be terrifying the whole way down. But as soon as I have that moment where I can actually listen to Jesus and say, what is he ask? What kind of jump is he actually asking me to do more often than not? It's like, take a nap, like let go, set down that fear about your finances into my hands with your physical being. And then it's, I mean, I get it. Taking a nap can be terrifying. Really, it can. But you feel like you have it, so much to do. <laughs> yeah, it really can be terrifying. But after that, after you do it with that trust, the experience is, oh my goodness, Jesus loves me. <laughs> Jesus likes me. Anyway, that's a long answer, but that's, kind of at the core of what we're trying to do is it's it's less about teaching you mental things although we still do that mm -hmm. it's more about trying to create space for you to for anyone to 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 test jesus <laughs> to put it you know like to take him at his word yeah. that when he says i know what you need that he means it yeah that's really good um my husband and I, we are fasting uh, television right now. And when I first sat down um, and just started like journaling through while we started to fast television and all of that, and um, just having that dialogue with the Lord about, you know, like, what are the things that are distractions? And the first things that came to the top of mind were like the more overt things, right? Like TV, social media, da, da, da. And then the spirit was just like, what about all those sermons on YouTube that you love? I'm like, but they're spiritual and they're a distraction when I'm trying to speak to you directly. <laughs> what about all the spiritual books you love? I'm like, but they're spiritual books, but they're a distraction when I'm trying to speak to you directly. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Amen. I mean, one of the first things you just, the, you just, what you just said, memory just floods. One of the first things I, I ended up taking that during my sabbatical, I ended up taking a week alone um, at a monastery in, in the mountains. And it, this is going to, I mean, I, I hope this sounds as funny as it feels like it is. One of the first things that God made clear to me that I needed to do differently was one, I needed to read fewer books. And then two, when I did read a book at the monastery, I needed to not take notes. And because like I, I could I could randomly grab a book at the from the shelf to my my left here and flip it open. And and most of them are just covered in underlines and notes in the margins and everything. And so much of that is me distracting myself. And so so I literally kind of argued with God. I was like, wait, I can't read a book unless I underline and take notes. And he just sort of chuckled and was like, yeah, don't. And it was such a scary act of faith for me. I, I know that makes me sound super dumb, but it was such a scary act of faith. But it transformed me in a lot of ways because now it's it, what it was. And, and I know that sounds dumb, but maybe it doesn't. For me, at least, it was a really, really deep-seated fear that I was going to miss the crucial bit of information that I, that somehow if I missed it, I was a complete failure. And what God was actually saying to me was, I've got you. If you need this information, I will remind you, it'll be okay. Trust me. And I was like, oh, I'm not trusting you, Lord. Uh-uh, you know, and he's like, yeah, you are. And that's like, to me, I, I really get passionate about that because I know it sounds so small, but I, I guess I've seen so many things now that What's small for one person is not small for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm literally right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so right there with you where it seems, um, it can seem insignificant or it can seem like God is kind of asking you to do the counter of what productive would actually be. Um, but to your point, like, what's the root, though? The root is actually that you're not trusting God because you're trying to depend on something else to hear his voice when he's just trying to teach you, like, help, let me help you see, 
you can just trust that I will do the speaking. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which I admit is, it's just really hard. It is. I'm right there with you. I'm learning that lesson in this. I mean, and that is, I guess that's the other like component of like what the reason we started this ministry is because I feel that one of the, like, it's, it's an epidemic. I mean, it's actually, it is an actual epidemic. Um, even the world health organization has reported on it, but loneliness and the disconnect that people are facing uh, everywhere in our culture is really contributing to this. It's like, it's so much easier to see, to see what's driving my fear. And it's so much easier to learn to trust God when I have a friend who helps me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think Satan has kind of attacked that, mm-hmm. that on purpose to isolate and cut us off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love, you know, I, I love my church. I love the church in general. And I think post COVID, the church is doing this a lot better, but I think COVID revealed when we were all stuck at home for whatever reason, watching our show, you know, watching our, our, our church services on YouTube going, what, what the world is going on right now. Um, it revealed that much of the church, and I just use that very generally, kind of only had programs. Like that was the only tool in our toolbox. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a good tool. Like I'm all in favor of programs. I don't have any problem with that. But at a time when we couldn't access our programs, it mm-hmm. really revealed how lonely and isolated and cut off we are from personal relationships. And from just that kind of open space where we can be safe and vulnerable and, you know, not have to have an agenda. Mm-hmm. That's good. And, it, and I think it revealed that there were many people who had, there were, there's programs for young people. There's programs for old people. There's programs for single people. There's programs for married people. There's program, but there's always going to be a gap. There's always, you know, you're, you, there are always those folks who like, there are 30 programs here, but I don't fit into any of them. And again, that's not bad. I don't think you should stop doing the programs. It's just that we wanted to create a space where it's like, yeah, you don't need to identify with any particular thing to be welcome here. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no program for it. Mm-hmm. That's good. So, um, at the beginning of the episode, as you were introducing yourself in Signpost in, you talked about the fact that you all do spiritual direction. And mm-hmm. uh, one of our initial conversations when we met was around like, oh, you do this life coaching thing. What's that? How's that different? So talk to, talk to us a little bit about spiritual direction and what it is and what it is not. Yeah. Um, so my... M- tongue-in-cheek kind of joke about it and I, I, I this is not original to me but there's this is kind of around in the world of spiritual direction there's this it's a terrible name and the joke is that it's neither spiritual nor directive um <laughs> and, and i find that to be a helpful place to start simply because it is a very old term it's been in the christian world since forever but for most of us today, especially in the Protestant world, it sounds kind of froofy and new agey. It's like, what, you know, what are you talking about spiritual direction? So it's not spiritual in that froofy new agey sense. There's no crystals, you know what I mean? We're, we're not, there's no divination happening. It, whatever the word spiritual means in that context, that's not what we're talking about. It's also not directive in the sense that um, a, a spiritual director is not a guru is not a uh, discipleship teacher is not the person you go to for answers and they're not going to they're not going to tell you how to how to do your spiritual life so in what sense is it spiritual direction why the term well it's really more about directing your attention to god mm. so i like to give the analogy of a hiking buddy 
we're all on this spiritual journey with God all throughout our lives. And it's really helpful, like I said, to have a friend, somebody who hikes alongside of you, because so much of it is about attention. We're so accustomed to, you know, I take a hike and I kind of look at the same things I always look at. I look at that mountain. I look at these flowers. I notice these things. It's really helpful to have a friend who's looking at something else and saying, hey, have you noticed that in your life? Is that God? Have you noticed this? Is is that God trying to invite you to something? Or, you know, we all come to those crossroads on the hike and we're tired. And it's really helpful to have somebody say to notice that and be like, man, you look really tired. Do you want to, before we make the decision of which way to go, do you want to just take a rest, talk to God a little bit, pray about it? So it's it's like, you know, you, I don't know which path you should take. I don't know what God's trying to teach you. But it's helpful to have a second set of eyes and a second set of ears to listen along with you to your life, as well as to God's invitations and responses. Um, another analogy I kind of like to use is it's like a marriage counselor. So, but but very different in this case because God doesn't need my help. <laughs> so it's a wonderful experience to be in because you know you might need help. You might need me to help facilitate you talking to God, and you might need help hearing from him, but he doesn't need any help. So a spiritual director doesn't speak for God, doesn't know what God is doing, but can help you deal with some of those barriers that prevent you from trusting him enough to listen. Um, and so that's where it crosses over into knowing yourself some too. Some of the work of spiritual direction is to help a person notice the things, their their pictures of God, their hangups with God that are preventing them from experiencing him as experiencing him and knowing him as he really is, as loving through Christ. Um it's kind of helpful to distinguish it from I think counseling or therapy, therapy is a lovely thing. Please do therapy. You should do therapy. Um, It's fantastic. But therapy is exactly what it sounds like. You go to a therapist for help with a problem. And ideally, you know, I went to therapy for anxiety. And after six months, we got to the point where, you know, I have a little 10 digit scale and I had progressed to we had set the reasonable goal of I wanted to go from a three to a seven, and I got to a six. And we're like, you know what? That's that's a reasonable accomplishment. We're done for now. If you're in therapy forever, your therapist isn't doing the right thing. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a project that has a goal that has an end. Um, sign, uh, uh, spiritual direction is not like that. There's not a goal. We're not. It's, you don't come to spiritual direction to get fixed. Now. The, the caveat to that is like, maybe I should say it this way. You don't come to the spiritual director to get fixed. Mm. Healing happens. God certainly has goals. <laughs> he has things he wants you to heal, to do, to grow in. But spiritual direction is more about helping you learn that and engage that with God rather than, you know, the director does not have a goal. I don't have a, I don't have these, I don't have some system I'm trying to evaluate whether you're progressing along. I think it's different from life coaching in a similar way. And you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I understand life coaching to be about. I come to a life coach because I have a goal that I want to accomplish. Or maybe I even have a goal that I want to understand whether that's the right goal or not. And the life coach helps me figure that out, then helps me break it down, then helps me accomplish it. And so there's still this goal directed thing, which is really, really great. But again, that's a little bit different in spiritual direction. If you come into it with goals, more than likely what I'm going to ask is, that's lovely. Let's talk about that. And let's ask God if those are his goals. (laughs) Because again, I don't know. And I assume you don't really know what God's goals are either. We have to find out from him. What that looks like practically is, in, in very concrete terms, In a spiritual direction session, there's a lot of silence. There's a lot of encouragement to try. A lot of my work 
as a spiritual director is to hold shame at bay mm. long enough for the person to be able to get in touch with what they're really asking, what they're really feeling, what they're really wanting, and surrender that to God, mm. and then let him actually directly speak and heal and work. So there's a lot of silence. There's a lot of encouragement to prayer, invitation to prayer. And there's a lot of support of the person in the legitimacy of their life experience before God. And so if you come to a spiritual direction session, you should feel like you have an advocate with you mm. to be able to be honest and listen to God with, with freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love this conversation about um, spiritual direction because um, in the conversation that we were just having for your podcast, I was talking a little bit about um, just how the church wasn't equipped with the right resources. Um, mm. And so coming off uh, the heels of COVID, you, you see all these kind of new things emerge like spiritual direction and life coaching. And in some ways it, it's so new and anybody can do it that it's like, what the heck is going on? You know, should I, should I trust this? And then in other ways, you see how the Holy Spirit is filling the gaps, you know, with resources that people need. And so for anyone listening who may be wondering like, okay, there's all of these resources. How do I know when I need counseling versus when I need coaching versus when I need spiritual direction? I think the questions are, do I need to talk? Do I need to listen or do I need accountability? If I need mm. to talk, I need to go to a counselor or therapist. If I need to listen to God specifically, I need a spiritual director. If I need some accountability in this phase of my life, then I need to go to a life coach. And you will likely need all of those things at some point. <laughs> Amen. In just right. different seasons of life. So someone like myself, who is very works-based, it's easy for me to lean towards getting a coach because I like having a checklist. But the more right. challenging thing would be to sit and listen to God because yeah. I love having a checklist. And then there's some people who you could hand it to them on a platter and they wouldn't do what needs to be done. Okay, you need some accountability. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I think the it's important. I love that. Like, I'm going to use that, by the way. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to steal your questions because that's really helpful. Um, I think it's important to be like, not everybody needs all of those things at any, you know, like you said, there's different times of different needs. Um, yeah, you don't, not everybody needs to go into therapy. Not everybody needs a spiritual director. Not everybody needs life coach. Um, but, but I do firmly believe, and at least in my own experience, you will eventually need some of that, <laughs> if not yet, <laughs> but you, yeah. you will. And to me, that's the, the kind of scriptural, it's just, it's, we were not meant to do this thing alone mm -hmm. and we can't. Yeah. Um, and God has then equipped people to help for that very reason, because he knows we can't, and he's very compassionate and gen gentle about that. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I would say this to people who are listening, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that when, when my internal dialogue gets rolling, there's just this vague, constant condemnation that says, you should be better. You should be able to do it. No, no definition of what that it is, but you should be better at it on your own. And boy, does that damn me. <sighs> and drives me to hide and not tell people what my troubles are. And run away from confession, run away from friends because I think they're going to, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be revealed as unlovable. And that is like, that is just the, that is 
the devil works in vague shame. And it, it, it's like such a shortcut to knowing when I'm hearing the devil and God. It's not, this isn't 100% easy, but it's like vague shame. You suck because you're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. That is the devil mm-hmm. <laughs> every time. Mm-hmm. Specific guilt about something that doesn't leave you just in total shame. That's God. Look, this was wrong. You shouldn't have done it here's repent and find help that's god and it's gentle and it's kind but you know that was a thing i shouldn't have done okay but when it's just this vague shame oh man so destructive mm-hmm. that's a really good identifier that's awesome um one of the things that i love that i'm hearing as you share your story is about um similarly to my story how how god has use your personal experiences to uh, bring you into this new season of uh, being called to this form of ministry. So one of the questions that I had for you, because um, I remember you talking about how you were a thinker and kind of laying all of that down and, and, and being into theology and all of the things. So how would you say specifically over the last three to five years that your personal relationship with God has evolved. Yeah. Um, I feel a lot like the last five years has been like a warp speed, like, like there's been a warp drive turned on. Um, I mentioned earlier, like I could teach the gospel I could even preach the gospel, so to speak, really well. It's one of the things I prided myself on in my previous work. There was a lot of talking, a lot of lecturing, and my my little domain that I spoke on mostly was the gospel. And I always got the the feedback that it was really, really freeing and helpful, which which is so encouraging to hear. But for me personally, the the warp speed has been going from knowing that, talking about it, saying it, and then feeling this horrible guilt, this no horrible shame, that vague shame. Mm. That for me it wasn't effective, and I just I sort of assumed that something was wrong with me. Mm. So I knew I knew I should. I knew I should surrender my fear and anxiety to God. But it but that's all I knew. And when you say it that way, when I say it that way, all that does is make me feel inadequate. Well, I should, but I can't. What's wrong with me? No answer. So where my personal relationship with God has just blown up and become completely different is a simplest thing. It's like what I call contemplative prayer or, or, or silent prayer or wordless prayer or whatever else you want to call it. It's, it's just sitting with God and consenting. And that word really matters to me, consenting to his love and care for me with my physical and spiritual being rather than just with my head. And I know what that feels like. Um, I love the analogy of it's like uh, if you've ever ridden a roller coaster, like I, I used to hate roller coasters, but I love the old wooden roller coasters, not the ones that do the loops, but the old wooden ones that shake and rattle. But if you've ever done that, you know what this feels like because you get to the very top of that first hill, you know, you, like the chain is pulling you up and it's kind of this ka-chunk, 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 and it's terrifying, which by the way, if you feel the fear in that moment, you know what anx- what an anxiety disorder feels like (laughs) it's just that constantly but you get to the right to the top and just as it starts to go you have a choice and that choice is you either throw your hands up and enjoy it or what i always used to do which is clench the bar clench up my whole body and just freak out the whole way Mm. throwing my hands up and trusting that i'm not going to fly out of the roller coaster because the designers made it right. The bar is there. It's going to be fun. My whole body relaxes. 
and I breathe deep and I'm just like, all right, here we go. We that's consent to me. That's what it feels like to consent. And so I, when I pray, <laughs> I'm, I'm always trying to return to that moment of, all right, throw my hands up, Lord, I trust you. And it's not really an intellectual exercise. It's a mental, it's a physical, spiritual exercise. Mm-hmm. And that has just transformed my view of God. Mm. Because it's allowed me to experience him as the God who loves me. It's like, I know, I know objectively that's true. But for so long, I've been ignoring and, and shoving away the subjective experience of that objective reality. Mm. And that's where I'm at now is like, There's ups and downs in that. There's backs and forths. I'm better at it sometimes than not. But all of it is really just about practicing surrendering myself completely to the love of God. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess to wrap that up, it's like it was the relationship I always wanted to have with God and thought I should have. And what I'm learning is like, it's not about the should, (laughs) you know, God's not mad at me. He's always inviting it. He's just always like, yeah, you can throw your hands up and rest. It'll be all right. Mm, That's good. And as I do it, I find out that that's actually true and that he's real and that he talks and that he does stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I think, um, I will say one other thing on that because it's it's fresh in my mind of we ask we often I myself and people I talk to often are kind of asking the question of you know where is God when I need him mm-hmm. and what I have come to experience more and more is that that question from coming from within me is more of a demand that God meet my needs the way I want him to meet them. And he's already there meeting the need that I actually need to have met. And there's a disconnect. I have to learn to rest with what he has with the way he's meeting my need. But that's, that's less about effort and more about rest. And as I do that, I discover he really is there meeting the need. It's not ethereal. It's not, I've had people say, I I just need a hug. I need to know I'm loved. And I'm like, well, maybe God wants to hug you. And they're like, God's not physical. He, he can't hug me. I'm like, all right, I hear you. Amen. Do you think God might be inviting you to let him hug you? And then like three weeks later, they'll come back and be like, darn it, God hugged me. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I know, I don't know how that works. I don't know what that means, but I also know, yes, I've felt that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So I'm curious, um, being someone that comes from a background in theology and apologetics and being a teacher and preacher of the gospel. Um, what would you say you would like to see the church do different to help fill some of these gaps that you know exist because of the work that you do? Or is that the church's responsibility <laughs> to try to yeah. fill some of these gaps? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I find that, I, I guess I'm, I struggle with that question a little bit because I, I you know, we've set out to our goal is not to critique. Our goal is not to fix the church. I don't have the solutions to the church. Um, and I don't, I actually, I actually don't think that the church is doing things badly. Mm-hmm. I think, I think most of us, when we're complaining about the church, there, I mean, the problem is sort of a lack of compassion. Like we're, mm. the world is messed up. We live in a broken, fallen world, and I think the church, nine times out of ten, is doing the best it can. I mean, sure, there's bad stuff that happens, but yeah, you know. So I don't really want to critique. Uh, so I guess the way I would say that is, though, 
but but then to answer your question is to say um I'm not sure that this is a specific problem to any church or the church. I think this is a problem in our current cultural context mm-hmm. for all of us. It is uh, um, productivity and measurement of success based on um, discrete uh measurables you know i mean that that's the language it's used is so much in the water that we swim in and in the air that we breathe that i think that we've just applied that to everything and it it feels so good to apply it to that Mm -hmm. um you know you sit in any church meeting where they're trying to figure out what to do next and that's the immediate language we use it's well we need to have more people we need to do more to help this group and we need to we'll know we're successful when x numbers or even if those numbers are not numbers of people or money but we're measuring people's faithfulness or people's emotions or whatever else i mean it's just it's just everywhere we're just constantly sort of measuring what i would like to do or what i think would be good is at least, and I, let me be clear, that's very important in some places. You've got to have those things. I'm not saying that's bad. It's just not applicable to the gospel. It's not applicable to relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, can you imagine if the way I evaluated the success of my marriage was by measuring every week the number of whatevers that we did? You know, my wife would slap me, and rightly so. Um <laughs> So I, I guess it's, and, and this is really hard to talk about, but it's, it's cause it's hard to wrap our heads around, but it's like, less measuring and that's it period. Mm. I don't want to come back and say more something else, because again, that slips right into the problem. Yeah. It's like invite a person over to your house after church and have lunch. That's it. And don't, and 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 talk to God afterwards about the, having Him help you resist the urge to ask if it was a successful meeting or not. Like that's what I would say. Pick somebody at church next Sunday and say, "Do you want to go out for coffee? Let's go out for coffee and talk about what doesn't matter." And then when you're done talking, I guarantee you, you'll do exactly what I do, which which is like, okay. Did I do what God wanted me to do? Was that successful? Did we talk about enough stuff? Did I say the right things? Did I, and then just say, Lord, help me resist the urge to ask those questions because being present, having coffee with another human is enough. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's enough. I don't care what you talk about. Yeah. That person needs that love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are a couple of different things that come to mind in response to that. One is how um, I love that um, in this post-COVID season, uh, in some ways we're learning to redefine what church means, (laughs) that it doesn't have to look like that traditional sense that we are so accustomed to when going to a service on a Sunday morning and participating in small groups maybe throughout the week, and maybe there's something fun for the family on Saturday. Um, that church can literally be where two or three are gathered <laughs> mm. and yeah. spirit Christ being in the midst. So I love that, that, man, we can get away from thinking about all the ways that this institution on a Sunday morning that serves us in this way um, is supposed to come to the rescue and just, just be Christian. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, just, be. I mean, yeah, absolutely. From the background I come from, you know, I, I come from a Lutheran kind of higher church, so to speak, liturgical background. And I, so I, I do feel like the programmatic mistake in all things, whether it's church or ministry or whatever else, again, with the caveat that some things are supposed to be programmatic, right? Like a podcast 
is programmatic. You measure a podcast. I don't think you shouldn't do that. I just want to be clear about that because people think it's weird. I say these things and people think I mean it. Throw out all measurement. It's like, no, no, no. Look, business, you got to make money. You got to like measure. Good. <laughs> it's just when that becomes the dominant everything model for mm-hmm. everything. It doesn't cover everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that's connected is that I understand the service on Sunday to be about Jesus loving and for, loving me and forgiving my sins, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, sacraments is very important. Where those things, I see them go wrong is when they become the program by which I progress rather than, you know, what's the simplest version of what I, what I think of when I think of the sacraments, what is the simplest thing? It's, it's the same thing as my wife sitting with me on the porch and saying she loves me. There's no, if I evaluate whether that makes me more holy or not, (laughs) I've got a problem. If I just enjoy the presence of Jesus, that's what it's about. I think there are things institutionally that God has instituted, you know, that you don't have to agree with me. It doesn't matter. It's just, I think there are institutional things that that do that. It's the shifting them into let's measure and see how they're let's measure and see how they're affecting my holiness. That's when we get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Man, that's good because I think um, even in the vein of the conversation we were having just around coaching versus counseling versus spiritual direction, I think it's all different forms of discipling. And Mm. there's a part of me that wishes that everybody could be trained in all of the things, because it's like in different seasons, people are just going to need different things and, and you know, walk with them. Um, and, and I would personally, um, just kind of love local churches to realize that like, man, it's okay to be able to resource these things out (laughs) to say that, like, we're not the resource for that. And that's okay. Let's find a great partner Mm -hmm. who, you know, Mm -hmm. we truly Mm -hmm. believe in and who our beliefs align and that we can send people out to, because again, we are all the body, right? And so different parts are going to meet different needs. So, yeah. And I, yeah. Amen. And I have compassion for the churches and the folks who it's hard. It's hard to be a pastor and farm things out because it's scary. What, you know, you're responsible for these folks and what are they going to learn from? And I get that. Yeah. Um, though I, I would say, <laughs> okay, I can answer your question directly. This is where I would want to encourage pastors mm-hmm. specifically and individually to go receive that help themselves. Mm-hmm. Um. There, I can't think of a much harder job than a pastor who, because you're stuck, you, <laughs> the, the pressures to maintain an image are so strong. Mm. I have to be the spiritual leader. I have to have it put together. I have to have no trouble. I can never doubt my faith. I can never question what God's doing. I can never be angry at God. I mean, the pressures to be that to maintain that image is so strong that I don't think any human being can actually resist them. And if you think you can, that's a big red flag that you need to go see a therapist because you're just not, you're not strong enough. We all cave to that stuff. And then it's almost impossible when you do realize you need help to find that help as a pastor, because everybody, you know, is, is your parishioner or your, or in your church, and you can't go trust them because you, you can't walk up to a random person on Sunday as the pastor and say, you know what? My sewage pipe broke this week and I'm doubting whether God loves me or not. You can't do that. <laughs> so you need, you need help. You need to go outside. And that's what I hear. You know, that's what I'm saying to you. You know what you're, I mean, it's what I'm hearing you say, right? It's like, and I just want to apply that specifically to pastors and just encourage them. Find your therapist, find a life coach, find a spiritual director. Whatever you need in this space of life that's outside your context. I have several pastors that I sit with that meet via Zoom and they're in other parts of the country. 
and all of them say the same thing, which is like, it's just so good to have someone who doesn't know anybody in my church, can't report me to anybody, you know, and can just, and so they can be honest, you know, that's that holding that shame at bay again. And they get to, they get to set aside the pastor image and they get to be a person with Jesus and be like, yeah, you know what? My prayer life sucks and I'm a pastor and I feel really guilty about that. I just, you know, if there are any pastors listening, I want to say, dude, you're not alone. Dude, that's, yep. I'm a pastor and I, I struggle with porn. Dude, you're not alone. I, yeah. It's, you know, this is, I get it. Yeah. And whatever you can do to not isolate and find some help, that's not shaming, that's not damning. Because we need you. Mm. <laughs> Your church needs you. Mm. But isolation and doing it yourself kills all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Um, so two last questions as we start to wrap up here. First of the two is for anyone who um, experiences signpost in in the various capacities that you serve, what is your hope for how they walk away different or what they walk away with um, from mm-hmm. your ministry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the second way you asked the question is better. I, I personally have to continually repent of the desire for people to walk away different. Um, for me, that's a, that's a catch. Mm-hmm. Cause I, cause that's like, you know, I'm measuring my success. Mm-hmm. So I think my prayer, though, I readily confess, it's not always my desire. My prayer is that people experience freedom, uh, that they ex- no, it's not freedom. It's that it's that they experience the reality of Jesus, his love, his delight, mm. his his per- intensely personal care for them. How that changes them, I really have to let I. That's got to be God's, whatever God wants that to do. But if we can just be a space where that at least we create the possibility for that experience to happen. That's what I want. Yeah, I think listening to you say that over and over might cause me to take a nap. (laughs) Good. Amen. Good. (laughs) It's it's a peaceful and serene thought. (laughs) Yeah. There's a ministry that I need to get connected with, and I can't remember for the life of me. Um, But there is a ministry literally set aside for the spiritual practice of net taking naps. And I yeah. probably just need to like connect with them and be like, all right, we're, we're doing this. Something called like the nap ministry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so true. Right. That's awesome. Okay. So my final question is um, for individuals who, who really relate to being like you. Like they hear your story, they hear the parts of your character that you've identified, they hear how you compared and contrasted, um, how you and your wife are different in nature. And they're like, man, the, the, the things that he's saying about himself is really me. What would be your advice to them? Mm. Advice is a dangerous thing. Um, because somebody might follow the advice, it might fail, and then they'll blame me. So <laughs> I'm always like wary. <laughs> I'm always wary of giving advice. I'm also always tempted to just rattle off five thousand bits of advice. Um, I I think in general, or yeah, in general, I would say ask for help mm. and. That's the first most important step. I certainly ask God for help, though I say that knowing that many of us ask God for help constantly and are very angry because he doesn't seem to offer it. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't say that lightly, but I would say, yeah, seek out someone, uh, seek out help from another human being who is grace-filled, and it may take time to find that person. Don't be afraid to don't be afraid to ask someone else and stop asking the first person you ask. Um, you know, I think this is the best advice when you're searching for a counselor, a therapist, a life coach, a spiritual director, all of them. What matters most is that relationship you have, that you can trust them, that they make you feel safe, that they offer grace. So if you start with a therapist and that's not what you get, that's fine. Change. Just tell them we're done and you go to a different one. You start with a spiritual director and the connection just isn't there. They're not talking your language. You walk away feeling more shame. That's fine. It may not be anything to do with the director or the counselor. It just may be that the relationship doesn't work, that the way they think doesn't fit the way you think. That's fine. Go find another one. Just But keep trying is what I would say. Keep trying. Um, find those folks who support you. That's that's where that's where stuff happens it's like you know go listen to the episode on my podcast with you uh, where you say it's community but it really matters that you find the community that is supportive and grace-filled and i know that's harder to do than it sounds i know a lot of people who are like just shaking their fist at me right now saying but you don't know. There's no community like that in my town. And I, I, my response is, I know. You know, um, I think that's why a radical relationship does the small groups. I think that's why. You know, I offer spiritual directing via Zoom. That's why we have the retreats. I mean, it's because I know you can't get it everywhere. It's hard, but don't give up. It does exist. It does. Yeah. That's really good. Awesome. How can men and women connect with you and Signpost In? Yeah, simplest way is just our website, Signpost In, I-N-N, like an N at the crossroads, signpostin.org. That's our website. Um, We've already mentioned it. We have our own podcast. It's just the Signpost In podcast um, where we talk about all these things. Um, In fact, there is a... There is a specific episode on our podcast just titled, What is Spiritual Direction? And it it is me interviewing the woman that I learned from. I did an apprenticeship and I interviewed her for an hour on what is spiritual direction. Um, Really helpful. I would also say there's a few couple episodes at the beginning of our podcast. You kind of scroll back through the episodes where I tell my story about anxiety and other things in more detail. So if people are interested in you know, if they resonate and they're like, ha, huh, what, what helped? There's a lot there. Um, once you get to our website, there's just, there's a link at the top. It's spiritual direction. If you're interested in connecting with me for spiritual direction, I would really encourage that. I do probably like you do a, a first initial session entirely free, get to know me, ask any questions you want. We talk about stuff. Um, uh, after that, I work with you. Um, I have a standard rate, but if people can't pay that, we are a ministry, so we do have funds to help people um, if they want to try that. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. 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 Well, thank you so much for the time to share a little bit of your story, a little bit of insight into your wife. Tell her we love her. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> experience her cooking and her hospitality. And I She's amazing. Her. I know. Yeah, that's a part we didn't even talk about. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you so much. This was great and um, just so eye-opening. I know that a lot of my listeners are friends of mine who are a lot like me, who are doers and go-getters and have been doing a lot of even debunking in our faith of of how do we do this thing, walking alongside God and and not as a checklist. And so um, I think all of you, if you are in that season, really struggling to hear God's voice because of the um, urge to do spiritual direction is a great resource. 
a great resource for that. So, so highly encourage you all to go to um, the website and check that out. So thank you again, Brandon. I really appreciate it. I hope that we can do this again sometime. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, just so much that comes out of these conversations. So thank you. We appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, Joe. Did you know that money isn't the only way that you can support an organization? A review goes a long way. If this podcast helped you in any way or you just want to support us because, you know, we're your people, then help us spread the word. Let the world know that you're rocking with us and you think they should, too. Share the podcast, leave a review, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, hop into the Facebook group, you know, whatever suits you. Until next time, folks, we are out. Bye, y'all.